Dragons can be killed. Today we're talking about children's literature. We'll see you in a moment. Hello and welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. And I'm Teresa Grodi. And we're back with another great conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty with one of our favorite topics today. We'll get to that in a moment. We're talking about children's literature with a a very special guest, Brittany Inzio. Before we get to that, I want to remind you as always that if you like what we're doing here on Awaken Catholic or here on this show, Elevate Ordinary, uh, go to awakencatholic.org slash donate. You can become a part of the Awaken Nation, support this mission of bringing truth through beautiful media. We appreciate that. Also download the app at theawakenapp.io. Uh, we've got a great community going there. It's a, there's a community element. You can you can follow the shows uh, there, interact with hosts and other members. It's a great place, and there's special stuff if you have become part of the Awaken Nation. So check that out. Also download the Hallow app at uh, hallow.app slash awaken. You can get a free trial, 30-day subscription of that. It also supports the ministry, and it's a great app for helping support your prayer life as a as a Catholic. So check that out as well. Finally, and last but not least, I want to tell you about uh, select tours uh, here in a moment. Have you ever dreamed of visiting Paris in the fall? Seeing the beautiful Eiffel Tower lit up by a sunset. Visiting and venerating holy locations of the Sister Saints of France in the Sioux, Paris, Lourdes, and more. This fall 2021, join select international tours with Claire Swinarski from The Catholic Feminist, author and speaker Catherine Whitaker, and our amazing hosts Morgan Holliger and Megan Burwell from Awaken's show Naked Without Shame on a once in a lifetime Sun River Cruise pilgrimage. Join our friends at Select International Tours and Cruises with over 34 years of experience. They are the perfect company to help you experience pilgrimage. To learn more, visit selectinternationaltours.com/awaken. Bon voyage. Ooh, that sounds like a pretty interesting tour. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Teresa, why don't you introduce our guest? So I'm so excited to be here talking to Brittany Inzio. I came across her at uh, through a group, and we were on a thread talking about children's literature. And uh, she has a blog, Good Books for Catholic Kids, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Worthwhile Literature. Um, and I went over to her blog and fell in love with all of her book lists and reviews. Um, she is a third-generation great books lover, um, and she's devoted to helping parents fill their homes with what is good, true, and beautiful, which is a shared mission for Awakened Catholic, uh, who is devoted to good, true, and beautiful um, in art. And so, Brittany, would you please uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little more um, about your blog, about your mission, and maybe something that you're really excited about right now? Sure, happy to. So as Teresa said, I'm a second generation homeschooler. I have three uh, young children that we're homeschooling. We live in uh, rural Virginia now on a small farm where our kids have plenty of room to run around and plenty of space to act out all those great books they spend their time reading. Our homeschooling style is a mix of great books, Charlotte Mason on the one hand, and then uh, you know, outdoor play on the other. And then I also threw in uh, classical memory work. So I guess I would call myself an eclectic homeschool parent. 
Um, and then my blogs. My blog started back in 2017. I had three children under the age of four, and I have no idea what why I would have started a blog then other than maybe the Holy Spirit it must have been a Holy Spirit thing. <laughs> but one day it just came to me that uh, it would be a neat idea to start talking about books online. And I just kind of plunged right in. Um, my mission right from the go was, as, I, as Teresa said, to share books that talked about the good, the true, the beautiful, the great books, the classics. Um, I wanted to provide a resource that Catholic parents had come to and really trust that they were getting like an authentically Catholic viewpoint and, and selection. Um, I, on my blog, I reviewed lots of great classics, but then I also like to look at popular contemporary series, especially mm -hmm. for teens, because part of my mission is helping parents who are too busy to sit there and pre-read yeah. every <laughs> popular yeah. series. That's huge. <laughs> So I want to provide in like a popular series, like, okay, this is like a little older, but Hunger Games came along, mm -hmm. you know, and not every parent could sit there and read that. So I had to give my point of view on that. Um, and all the popular dystopian series, I've gone through all of them I could find, like the Divergent <laughs> series and, um, and then like stuff like Game of Thrones series, the mm -hmm. books, not, not the movies, I don't do movies. Yeah. But anyway, any popular thing that someone's like, hey, have you, you know, what's your thought on this? I'll just go read it and then write a review on it. And that's nice. how a lot of my reviews happen is some parent will email me being like, what do you think of this? So I'll just go read it. And then I'll, I'll let them know and then I'll post it. Um, that's so that's such a phenomenal yeah. service because I don't yeah. know how many times we have Googled <laughs> the title of something and then like Christian review. <laughs> right. So that it's like maybe somebody will go through every little thing that is like yeah. in there that could be objectionable so we could decide, you know. Well, parents don't have time to to catch up on those those new books but also like again like our kids are, are burning through books yeah. so i i don't know if it was a it was on your site but i, I did see on on a, a book list for, for catholic boys uh the rangers apprentice series for instance i don't know if you've come across that one but i ordered the first four books out of the, from this review and like three days later my son has read all four of them and i'm like i haven't even cracked the first three <laughs> chapters you know and so again you'll be able to have you know a good good place to go for for book lists uh, to know you know some good options for you just you have to watch out readers. for that bible though our, nope. kids, <laughs> our kids one of our, our eldest started reading the old testament and he like brought out this phrase and i was like <gasps> who said that in front of him and he's like well it's from some, whatever and i'm like oh my gosh oh. don't read the bible <laughs> Testament is a guy. That's not a cheat. <laughs> That's right. I think um, I was telling you before the show that when I came across your blog, it was the beginning of the shutdown in 2020, and so our library had just closed. And I saw your list. Um, I think it's gardening books for kids, and I probably ordered half off of Amazon, <laughs> and it was a very good list. We enjoyed all of them. Um, uh, all the ones that we ordered anyway. Um, but some of your lists are like good books for cat for Catholic kids that are also good movies. Beyond Narnia, more great fantasy series for Catholic kids and teens. Have you read the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy? I love the C.S. Oh, Lewis Space Trilogy. Us too. Love. Yeah. Yes. We named our homeschool the Manor at St. Anne's Academy. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> That's a book I want to talk about. Um, like good book series to read aloud to a Catholic family. I mean, you you just have you have tons of lists. You have lists by age, lists by gender, lists by likes. 
Um, it's just phenomenal. If you have kids and you don't have kids and you want to read good literature, which is what we're going to talk about, why mm-hmm. Catholic kids literature is good literature for all ages. Um, uh, yeah, check out her blog. It's goodbooksforcatholickids.com. And you also have a Facebook page. I do have a Facebook page, a Twitter page, and I'm getting an Instagram page up and running. So wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. So what is your, let's, let's do a three-way question here. Okay. So what is your favorite book to read to your kids? Like picture book, like smallish that you can just pick oh, up and read. Book. Okay. Picture yeah. book. You want to go first? Yeah, go for it. If you got one. You want me to pick just one? (laughs) Like like the book you can't refuse. You can't refuse reading. Or a few, you know, if that makes it easier to just. (laughs) A few authors, maybe? Sure, Sure. sure. Go for it. Okay, so some of my favorite picture book authors. I love Elsa Besco. She's a Scandinavian author and she does children's books. Beautiful illustrations. Some of them are fairy tale types, and some of them they're just all. I love the illustrations. I also love um, Shirley Hughes. Is this British author who did all of these charming little stories about little preschool age brother sister little families and just their day to day life? And she did us all her own illustrations, and they're just lovely. Um, another one, uh, modern, very modern, is I love Jan Bretts illustrations are beautiful yeah and then um i also really enjoy fairy tales that have been beautifully illustrated so ruth um sanderson or saunders sanderson i think ruth sanderson she does some gorgeous fairy tale illustrations paul galdon um so i'm I'm a i'm a sucker for any beautiful fairy tale (laughs) yeah we ended up getting those um yellow, red, blue fairy stories that I think Chesterton mentions that he read as a kid. And I was Andrew, thinking like, Andrew Lang, yeah, yeah. I was thinking like these beautiful, like fairy tale books or whatever, but this is like my Teresa American idea of like fairy tales. And these were incredibly gruesome. Our son loves them. Our nine-year-old loves them now, but I sat down and read them, I think before bed. And I was like, ah, this is not bedtime reading. So, um, the book that I like cannot refuse when the kids bring it to me, this is going to sound so silly, but it's Go Dog Go by P.D. Eastman. <laughs> I, I feel silly saying this because we're talking about great literature, but my grandpa used to babysit me. So he was my primary babysitter um, and he used to read that and he used to read it like with this amazing like inflection. And so I love bringing that inflection to the kids. And I also like we found this um, the F- Flower Fairies series. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it like goes through the different flowers, um, the different seasons, like fall, winter, spring, and then like maybe garden fairies or something like roadside fairies. Um, But they're just like fairies drawn into um, the different flowers in the meadow or whatever. And they're lovely and they're beautifully drawn. That sounds Um, lovely. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I should have brought it. Too bad. Oh, man. Um, I'm, not, I'm not good on the spot here, but the uh, one that we've discovered is an author called Jonathan Bean. Um, he did a, a book called This Is My Home, This Is My School. And he's describing, well, there, there's that one. And then what's the other one that goes like along building with that? Your, it's like something about building his house. Yeah. But they're, they're, yeah. His, I don't know if he illustrated it, but, mm-hmm. but uh, the illustrations are very fun. And the, This Is My Home, This Is My School, it's all about contrasting 
um, well, it's, it's a homeschool. They're describing their home and their homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking about the different rooms. Oh, this is the cafeteria. And there comes the crabbed cafeteria lady. And it's, it's mom. who's had a long morning. <laughs> you know, it's a fun book. Yeah. So. It's a wonderful book. Yeah. So tell, tell us more about your passion. So I believe that stories are going to save our world, save our culture, they're just so important because if you think about it, this is how wisdom's always been passed on through even before history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people pull stories to pass on the wisdom of the ages. And children's literature is sometimes in the place of like a fairy tale or a fable or folktale, that is the stories that have been told for all these generations. Or sometimes it's it's a newer story, but it has that classic feel that you can tell it is going to be passed on. And these are stories that develop children on so many levels. They develop them on a on an individual level by nourishing their imagination and their ability to see beyond what's going on in this world to the fact that there's another dimension, another world, right? The possibility that heaven's right around the corner. There's also, they also help the child on a, on a um, cultural and civ- civic level mm. by teaching them, you know, empathy, ability to see someone else's life and see that there's something outside of them, them as a child. There's other people with other experiences and how to enter into the other person's experience and kind of live their life, walk in their shoes a little bit. Um, so stories are just so powerful in teaching children these things. Um, you know, they really develop the soul of the child by nourishing that, that sacramental imagination, I think would be the, the term for it. That, I love that term. Yeah. You know, sacramental imagination that God is, is present in creation and, you know, the physical things and the stories we read, that can be like this window mm-hmm. into understanding a little bit more about God or about our own humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you see that in C.S. Lewis is, mm-hmm. I love Narnia. Narnia mm-hmm. is with the book that I read like yeah. 50 times as a kid from beginning to end. And I think that C.S. Lewis is very, really, as an adult, telling the children, you know, this is how to read. This is how to approach a story. You open this door. You know, you open the wardrobe door and you go through and you're in this other world mm-hmm. and you learn this wisdom, these truths there. And then you go back through the wardrobe and you take those truths back into your life and you know, you, you live a little better. You've learned Mm -hmm. something new, you know? I I love that, that point because, um, you know, in some sense, uh, you know, the the devil's advocate uh, sometimes to fairy stories or to uh, escapist literature. I I love uh, Tolkien's essay on that, you know, talking about, well, you're going off, you're going off mentally to another world. It's not your world. And one thing that happens, I think, when you read great literature, especially great, you know, fantastic literature, is that you recognize, well, in many ways, our world, the world that we live in, in terms of our experience, is very unreal, you know, in terms of how we, how we see it, how we've been taught, what we've picked up from the culture, because a lot of it comes down to our interpretation, you know, our, our, the worldview that we've sort of just absorbed. And as you say, when you go through the wardrobe, you're experiencing a different world, but in some sense, you're learning about the reality of your own world. So you come back and you're actually seeing your world more clearly. You're seeing, you know, providence and free will. You're seeing good and evil. You're seeing virtue and vice. Those were all here before, but they were maybe under the surface. And now you're actually seeing the realities of things more clearly. Yeah. So I'm a historian and I spent the majority of my adult life being 
a nonfiction snob. I thought that I don't I didn't understand why people would read f- fiction when you could learn you could learn so much about the world, you know, through science or through history or through studying studying real events and being told things. And it wasn't until my first child was born and I was nursing him and I only had what I could reach on this one shelf. And I picked up C.S. Lewis's, the one on purgatory. Uh, The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce. And I read it in that one sitting while I was nursing him. I mean, possibly uh, most of it, um, that first sitting. And I I remember shutting it and just being like, I, I was blown away at the way in which what just happened to me taught me about purgatory in not using like fact fact words it was like i went to this other place and experienced it and i was just blown away and the second book that we read that was fiction was the space trilogy c.s lewis's space trilogy and that blew i mean just blew my mind we've probably we I, we've at least read the the third book that hideous strength 10 times i mean i think i stopped counting at 10 um but it just it it is the realist worldview I look through, truly. Yeah. I referenced that quote from C.S. Lewis at the beginning. I'll, I'll read it, the full thing, and then you can maybe comment on it, Brittany, because I'm sure you've, you've heard it before. I'm sure it comes up in your work a lot. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This is, this is Chesterton. Uh, the, the Lewis quote come later. Chesterton writes in Tremendous Trifles, Fairy tales do not give the child his first idea of bogey. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of bogey. The, ba- the baby has known the dragon intimately ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides for him is a St. George to kill the dragon. The, the popular iteration of that quote, I think, is, is wrong, uh, mm-hmm. but, but it still gets to the essence. You know, that it, uh, fairy tales don't teach the kids that there is a dragon so much as dragons can be killed. You know? Yes. Absolutely. And that's the point of fairy tales. You know, Um, like Teresa said, they can seem scary to us as adults, but, you know, children already have fears, you know, right from the get go, everything in the world is kind of scary to them, right? Like even a car going by to a little kid or a vacuum. There's so many scary things in a kid's world. They know, they know fear from a very young age. And yeah, fairy tales give them that hope that, okay, yeah, there's evil, there's fear in the world, but like, I can deal with this. Every man in the fairy tale deals with this and they win and I can too. Yeah, they provide the hope the child needs, really, yeah. to continue on. You know, they, they also flesh out the idea of good and evil. Again, kids have an innate sense. They know they have fears, and they develop a sense of you know, good is to be done and evil avoided. We all have that sort of intuitive sense underlying our, our, our conscious engagement with morality. But without having to necessarily go out in the world and work for a Scrooge, they can encounter a Scrooge in literature and learn the, the, the greasy, grimy dirtiness of greed before they go out and necessarily, you know, work for somebody like that. You know, they can, they can encounter that vice and the op- opposing virtues uh, in experientially through literature, uh, hopefully before they get out into the world so that they're, they're more prepared. They're practicing, they're understanding those more. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The ability to hone discernment, right? Before the ability to live multiple lives without actually being able to live multiple lives. Um, Yeah, that's incredible. I was thinking about, so as you were describing what you kind of like what you want for your children, what you're trying to 
um, provide for other Catholic parents in terms of a library, but that that library um, kind of creates a framework for a life lived, you know, like it created a framework for your life lived. And um, we're actually, we're going to come back and we're going to talk to you about Jane Austen in another episode. Um, And I was kind of thinking about Jane Austen's life because she was the daughter of a clergyman in England in, she died in 18, early 1800s. And um, she, her parents were working parents they were not wealthy. They were fine. They were working parents. He was a clergyman and his mother worked hard to raise her eight children. Um, and all of the children, it was a happy home. It was a safe home. Um, it was a home with lots of happy interaction with the siblings. And But it was also a home that loved literature and the written word was really elevated. And what you see that came from that is Jane Austen's mind. Her ability to be in her own life, her own tiny life that maybe didn't, that wasn't as grand as her brothers who went off in the Navy and went to all these different places and experienced all these different things. But what was given to her through a safe home full of family love and um, ample work, good hard work, um, and the ability to ponder was that she could see her ordinary word world and she was able to take all the vice and virtue, all the theology that her father, you know, was teaching, was preaching, preaching the gospel. Um, and she was able to lay it out ge- like a genius, like she was truly the mistress of vice and virtue in ordinary hearts. And that's what I want to like. I want to provide that for my children. I want them to have this safe well, you know, safe, you know what I mean? Um, like this this framework where they can truly be free to ponder, you know, um, to, to just to think about morality and then to allow their own um, their own creativity and what God is calling them to to be able to flourish in its in like its own way. You. Yeah, you. You know you've always wanted to go to Paris. Well, now's your chance. If you go with Select International Tours, the sponsor of today's Awakened Catholic Show episode, you can join Claire Swinarski from the Catholic Feminist Podcast, as well as author and speaker Catherine Whitaker, and our amazing hosts Morgan Holliger and Megan Burwell from Awaken's show Naked Without Shame on a once-in-a-lifetime Seine River Cruise pilgrimage in France. Visit and venerate the Sister Saints of France in Les Paris, and more. Sacre bleu! Learn more by visiting selectinternationaltours.com slash awaken. No, that's a beautiful vision, and I think I feel very similarly, and I guess, you know, what inspired me to want to share that with other parents to give them some of the tools, you know, not everyone comes from a literary background, so they've got to start somewhere, you know, like John Mark, you were saying that you also come from a homeschooling background where there's yeah. lots of literature. We have that in common. But so many Catholic parents I meet, neither parent comes from a background where literature was valued. Unfortunately, you know, in public schools, they don't necessarily value literature in the same way that your average homeschool family might. Um, so these parents are really looking for ideas, i found. You know, many of them email me going, hey, I want more ideas on this subject or more ideas for this age range because I, I don't know. I've never read any of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you keep your books at home? Do you have like a primary library and then they're kind of like scattered about or 
like maybe kind of kind of tell us what a home with lots of books in it looks like. I, so we have a home with lots of books. My grandfather—he's he just turned a hundred this week, and wow. he was this huge inspiration in my life. His his house is completely full of books, mm. every room, and he always is like told me that a room without books was like a body without a soul. Right? He quotes mm. that quote. So. For me, I don't keep my books in just like one location in a showcase. We have books in every room of our house. Yeah, every yeah. room of our house. And they're scattered on tables and they're on top, you know, piled on top of bookshelves. We have a lot of books. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's the feast. It's putting the feast yeah. out for your kids. That Let them browse, like make your house a library. And, and then they they pick up this book and read a few pages and then maybe they read this other book and it's okay. You know, they, they'll come back to the things that really interest them and they always have the opportunity. Um, you know, they, I'll try to get my kids to do math and I'll find that they've wandered off and they're just sitting there with a book <laughs> in the corner of the house. That's my problem as a homeschool parent. And I'm like, how can I possibly judge, right? <laughs> I'm all these options and okay, I guess you're reading again instead of doing math. Okay. Have you, just as an aside, because this is really important to our discussion, have you come across Life of Fred math? I have, yes. We love it. Our kids, like, we keep it on a low shelf and they, like, pull it off and and we'll find them, like, in a path, uh, like a pile of math books and they're just rereading and rereading. And we're talking, like, even, like, five, eight, and nine-year-olds, you know, just, like, rereading these math books. They're amazing. You know, there's, you know, probably, I'm sure there's people in our audience you know, that um, to some degree we've felt this way. Teresa, you certainly felt this way when we got married that um, we, we sort of, we get a glimpse of, you know, people talking about books and about sort of, of, of literature. And we feel like we've missed the boat on that either because of our upbringing or just because, you know, maybe we were never a super disciplined reader. I actually, I, I play a pretty good uh, literature buff on TV, but I'm not a super disciplined reader. I don't actually get around to reading tons of books. So with, with, with people in mind who maybe feel like, you know, they, they would like to get into this and maybe they have kids or they're going to have kids, you know, how does one start down that road for yourself and then to, to lay out this feast in one's home for one's children? Well, for oneself, um, depending on your personality, I'd say either pick one book and just aim to read one book this year, or if you're more ambitious type, pick one book from each of, say, five categories. Pick a fiction, a biography, a nonfiction, a spiritual work, and some other genre of your choice. And try to read a chapter from each of the books each week. And by the end of the year, you'll read five books in that case. And then you kind of can zero in on, ooh, I like this particular genre or whatever. and then as far as for children, I think you need to start with where you're at. If you're just expecting your first, then don't worry about collecting mm-hmm. the classics for the middle grade yet. Just start with building a picture book library. Yeah. You know, just focus on buying, you know, 10 beautiful picture books, mm-hmm. you know, each year. And then you know, as your child grows, grow the library with them. You know, try to always be buying for Christmas. For us, we give Christmas presents of books to our kids, birthday presents of books for our kids. Mm-hmm. If they have something for Easter, it's going to be a book. Um, you know, we, we take all those opportunities where parents give gifts and it's usually going to be a book in our house. Yeah. And that's, you know, our kids are actually excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
bad thing. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's the way we build our library. It's just taking advantage of all those little opportunities to give the kids something. And it's going to be, be a book in that case. Yeah. Yeah. One of the humps I had to get over initially when I had still had very, very young children is that I still had this mindset of like this college checklist, like, okay, we've read this book and now yeah. it goes away, you know, or we go to the library and we'll get the next 10 books on this list and then they go away and go back to the library as opposed to doing something like going to a place like your blog and picking out great books. It's like, just like you said, 10 great picture books, like the classics of, of picture books, you know, with really gorgeous pictures, a beautiful story. Um, and then just getting accustomed to reading over and over and over and over again. Um, that's something that children love. And it, it's what it's what solidifies in their mind. Um, it's what teaches them that voc- like vocabulary and um, sentence structure and like all these wonderful things that are building um, that are building blocks for phenomenal language. But that was a, that was a really hard and especially to like as I was trying to, you know, like I've never read fiction in my adult life. Like, how do I even get into this? Um, I was like looking to checklists. But then I came across, I mean, like, so C.S. Lewis, I started reading more of C.S. Lewis and I started just rereading, yeah. I mean, rereading the space trilogy, rereading Narnia. Then I got into Jane Austen and I've reread and reread. And sometimes I will finish the book and just like turn it right back over again um, so that you're because it's a muscle you kind of have to to exercise. Yeah. You know, you have to learn how to read again, how to have that attention span. Well, and again, I think there's a key distinction there. And I'm, I think maybe you could probably speak to this more intelligently the, than we can, Brittany. But the, the difference between content, again, whether we're speaking of books or, but you could also, I think, maybe in things in terms of movies or, or music, there's, there's content that really does bear rereading and content that just doesn't. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean the other content's worthless, but you know, there are certain books that you could reread for the rest of your life, you know, Lord of the Rings or, or Narnia or Jane Austen books. And there's always something new. You can go deeper and deeper. And so whether we're talking about children's, uh, you know, beautiful picture books, we're talking about, uh, fan, you know, fantasy literature, you know, there are there are books uh, that bear that rereading. And then there's, there's those that just don't. And it seems like that's part of what we're, when we're talking about, like, I mean, the reason to look at book lists is we want to know if I'm going to bring a book into my house where it's going to be read over and over by multiple children and an individual child many times. I wanted to have books that are that bear that rereading that there is there is a depth to go into there. Yes, you're basically saying the classics, right? Yeah. The kind of what makes a book a classic, right? right. One of the things is a timeless appeal. I mean, I know C.S. Lewis says this, that a great book is never just for children, you know, that everyone should be able to enjoy it. I know there's yeah. a quote about forgetting in what, but yeah, everyone should be able to enjoy a great children's book, yeah. right? And everyone does enjoy Narnia. I still like reading Narnia aloud to my, to my kids, to my family. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a classic, I think also the reason it's timeless is because it speaks to something that's true or good or beautiful that, you know, our soul recognizes and responds to. And that's going to uh, be felt generations after the book was written because these things are in everyone's souls, mm-hmm. these desires for God, desires for, for beauty, for truth. Um, and 
some of my favorite books that my children and I have read many times are books that appear, that fit those criteria. They apply to all, all the different ages. All my kids of all ages can enjoy them. And there's something in there that is growing their souls, growing their imaginations, and they respond to no matter how many times they've heard it. You know, they'll, mm-hmm. they just listen to Narnia on audiobook. I read it to yeah. them over and over and it never gets old. Yeah. Like there's always something new. Yeah. Yeah. We, and actually I was thinking about bringing up audiobooks because there are some books that are really straightforward, like um, Little House on the Prairie or uh, Narnia. But then there are other books where, I mean, I would try to read Beatrix Potter books to my kids and I just be like, this is this is what people think is classic. And until I heard somebody perform it well, kind of like when you hear somebody perform Shakespeare, whereas yeah. before it, fe- it sounds it's very so flat, flat until you heard you know? somebody or like sometimes yeah. you read the Bible and you're just like, these people are so boring. But then you hear somebody perform it well. Somebody who loves the literature, knows it deeply. And Beatrix Potter is amazing. <laughs> like absolutely like like the genius of mixing nature with these personalities um, is just phenomenal. But I had no idea until it was performed to me. Um, so it, it, yeah, I, we love, we absolutely love audiobooks in our home and actually too, like, so if you're going back to like, if you're thinking about how do I get into literature and you pick up a, a classic and you're just like, this is flat, this is dry, um, perhaps like find a, a performance of it, like either an audiobook or watch the movie, you know, because the thing about classics is that like, we're going to talk about Jane Austen here uh, in the next episode and it's okay to have spoilers because you're going to read it again and again and again. You're going to watch the performance of it again and again because it is so good. That's so interesting. Again, the whole notion of spoilers, that really comes out of a culture where we have content that's really only worth one watch. And so if you spoil it, there's almost no point in watching it or reading it. But with great literature, you know, it's not the end of the world if you spoil it or or maybe the first time you read it, it's the audio book or, or whatever, because it does bear that rereading. You know, you find, you might, the, the first time you read it, you may be chasing after the plot, but the next time you're getting a deeper level than you got the first time. Absolutely. And with really, really great classics, I mean, I'm thinking maybe even some adult classics at this yeah. point, yeah. You, the author intends for you to go back to the beginning and yeah. reread it because yeah. sometimes you don't know to the end something that will then make the whole beginning so much yeah. richer. I think of Brideshead. I love Brideshead Revisited. Yeah. I've read it over and over, and each time I see more of what Evelyn Waugh was was trying to get at. But you have to read the whole thing, or you don't even understand the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I want to say, I thought at one point I was reading Brideshead Revisited. This was oh, my this first so time yeah. using my Kindle app on my phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on the Kindle app, it doesn't tell you what you're reading on every page like a book does. And so I'm like reading this. And I'm just like, this is so weird, you know, because I wanted to read the best she, she, book. She's of the asking me, like, Bride, you know, Bride said, well, I, like, I had nightmares. Not what I expected. And I'm like, is this going to be like a a post, you know, like a post, what is it called? Post apocalyptic. Post apocalyptic thing. Because I'm just getting nightmares from like the. And he's like, Brideshead Revisited is like Downton Abbey. And I'm like, what am I reading? It turned out I was reading The Man Who Is Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Which if you know if you know both those novels, like Yeah, that's that's kind of it's gonna mess you up a little bit. <laughs> so, They're both great novels, but yeah, yeah. nothing alike. Yeah. I have not 
I have not gotten to read Brideshead Revisited because part of me hasn't gotten over that. Like, in... <laughs> anyway, yeah. so I should give it a try. You should, and then read it again because yes, a lot of those books that you need to read probably at least three times to begin yeah. to see what doing with the plot. <laughs> I was going to read that full quote that you referenced early, Brittany, and I'll let you comment on it. Um, I have a bunch of I, thoughts on it, but I'll let you you go first, any direction you'd like. But this is that quote from C.S. Lewis uh, from. Of Other Worlds, Essays and Stories. He writes, It is usual to speak in a playfully apologetic tone about one's adult enjoyment of what are called children's books. I think the convention is a silly one. No book is really worth reading at the age of 10, which is not equally and often far more worth reading at the age of 50, except, of course, books of information. The only imaginative works we ought to grow out of are those which it would have been better not to have read at all. Your thoughts? Mm. Can I have it again? (laughs) Sure. What do you say after a C.S. Lewis quote? He's just so articulate. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think he's getting at the timelessness of, of a really good story that there's this window into the greater reality. And whether you're six or 66, you know, you're going to appreciate going through that door and getting some wisdom and coming back. Yeah. Well, I, one thing that comes to mind, my mind immediately is, is how... We do this weird thing as modern parents or, or teachers and educators where we give our things, we, I'm sorry, we give our kids things that we ourselves kind of find repulsive or, or like uh, uh, so uh, like pathetically droll or silly. Like as I think a, you have Jake and the Neverland Pirates. I well, know I mean, I, you, know, you get into the territory, maybe you're stepping on somebody's <laughs> toes of what they like. But I, like I have, I think we, we a while back we did a real uh, culling of our of our children's books. Cause we just accumulated so many big piles of them. And I just recognized we have a number of titles that had slipped in there, mostly really, really modern ones and mostly really like mass produced, unartfully produced ones that I'm just like, I just think this is a dumb book. Why am I having my kid read it? Or, or like some books I started getting rid of where we had um, Disney, old Disney movies were, were pretty you know, beautiful representations of old, old fairy tales, but oftentimes they would translate those fairy tale movies into very, very poorly written, uh, picture books, uh, representing what was in the movies. And uh, some of the, the imagery was beautiful because those, some of those old ones were, were rather beautifully illustrated, but the, the actual prose was so, well, it was like, you know, some intern just kind of like slapped it down. And so again, I, I noticed it myself, like, I think this is really dumb. Why would I be expecting my kids to to like this? Or why would I want them reading this over and over again? Versus, again, like some of the books you referenced earlier, a book that we read, we, we recognize it may be oriented towards a child, but the prose can still be beautiful. Even if it's simple, it can still be very beautiful. And that's the kind of book that I want my kid to, to read and reread. Absolutely. And, you know, children who only read that mass produced, poorly written type of book you're talking about, you know, then they have trouble as they get older, actually appreciating something beautifully written. Um, I use a tag on my blog I call Turkish Delight. Yes. And it's an Arnia reference, of course, Uh um, because, you know, Eustace, he eats that Turkish Delight and all he can think about is wanting more of that, like, quick, easy, goes down smoothly, you know, pleasure. And he can't think beyond that anymore. He can't even use his reason. He can't think about his siblings. You know, he just loses all ability to appreciate true goodness and beauty. You know, he can't, he, he, he thinks, he hears about Aslan 
and he thinks he must be this terrible creature. And, mm-hmm. you know, why is his reaction different than the other kids? Because he's speaking in that Turkish delight. So yeah. I equate that to the books. That are, you know, I, I love that analogy. I, yeah. we, we use that with yeah. our kids too. The, well, our analogy is just simply between f- food and candy. You know, our kids get that in terms of food. You know, we're like, we'll ask them, you know, what happens if you eat too much candy? Oh, well, you'll get sick and you know, like all these bad things will happen. So they recognize, our kids recognize instinctively from their own experience that, hey, there's there's food like you eat you you live no you you eat to live you know food is to be healthy it's to nourish your body what's candy for what's cake for well maybe a special occasion maybe to celebrate somebody's birthday but you don't make a diet out of candy or cake and so right. i think similar to that's how we talk about uh literature or movies or tv it's like sometimes i'll have a kid will ask to watch something you know or to read something and we'll say no uh, we don't want you to watch or read that and they'll say well there's nothing bad in it and i say i did there's not i didn't say there was something bad in it but that's candy that's Turkish delight. And so, you know, it's it's okay once in a while, but your diet should be this stuff, you know, this yeah, nourishing stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You have you only have so much mental space and so many hours in a day. Like we want to fill it up with <laughs> good, good things. Um well, thank you so much, Brittany, for for joining us today. Um, can you tell people again where we can find you? At goodbooksforcatholickids.com is my website. And then there's also a Facebook page. Yeah. And please check out her website. I mean, she has so many book lists, like you'll be able to find something for your child. You'll be able to find something for you. And you have, um, newer book reviews you said earlier in the episode. So that like, if you want to know whether or not your young teen, tween, whatever should be reading this book or yeah, check out her reviews. So you want to lead us out, sweetie? Sure thing. Yeah, thanks again for joining us for this episode of Elevate Ordinary. Uh, as I said before, uh, please go to awakencatholic.org slash donate and become part of the Awakened Nation to support this mission of sharing beautiful, uh, no, truth through beautiful media. Yeah. Uh, also download the app at theawakenapp.io. Download the Hallow app at hallow.app slash awaken. Hey, and we'll see you again next time for another great conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. God bless. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.